we are starting a new series this morning, and we're in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at people who encountered Jesus Christ in this Gospel. So we're not going through it uh, verse by verse. We're concentrating on encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel. And this morning, I just want to do an introduction, and thankfully for us, John has already done that. And it's in chapter 20, the last couple of verses in our reading. John 20, verses 30 and 31. John gives us his reasons for writing. Or should I say reason? He's only got one reason. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Maybe of all the books in the Bible, the Gospel of John is the most precious. When I first heard uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, when I was in university, it was John's Gospel we were recommended to read. So if there's anybody here this morning, like I was in Aberystwyth in 1989, seeking, uh, wanting to know Jesus Christ and wanting to know salvation in him, the best book to read in the whole of the Bible is the Gospel of John. I don't know how many of you were recommended the Gospel of John when you were in that position. And as a pastor uh, who has visited now so many deathbeds, it is often to the Gospel of John that I turn when somebody is facing the last enemy and leaving this short and uncertain life behind. Isn't that interesting? Uh, John chapter 14 Uh, That's one of the greatest chapters uh, to read at the bedside of a dying saint. So when we begin the Christian life, when we're born again, and when we leave this world behind, it's the Gospel of John that's been our companion. And in between, hasn't this Gospel been precious to so many of us. Uh, One Greek scholar, not that I'm into Greek scholars, but he's got a good quotation called A.T. Robertson wrote, the profoundest book in the world is the Gospel of John. This is so simple that a child can wade in it, and yet it's so deep that a scholar can swim in it. It's worth looking at, isn't it? Even if all we're going to be doing is paddling on the seashore. If you have read the Gospel of John, one thing that will strike you is its short sentences. It hasn't got complicated words or complicated sentence structure. It's short phrases. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am 
the resurrection and the life. Jesus wept and so on. There are no uh, frilly uh, bits to this gospel. It's so simple and yet in its simplicity there is profundity. That, that's what I can't get my head around. Uh, as Robertson said, a child can understand it. It's so simple and yet it's not simplistic. Uh, great intellectual mind uh, can never plumb the depths of this gospel. Matthew, he was writing primarily to the Jews, so he concentrates on Jesus as king. Mark, as we were in Mark's gospel, uh, he's writing to the Gentiles and he's full of action, emphasizing Jesus as a servant. Luke, Dr. Luke, the physician, he's interested in Jesus's humanity, uh, the compassion of Jesus Christ. John, the Godhood of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus is a man, and we must never lose sight of his humanity. A man there is, a real man, but he's not just a man, is he? He's mighty Christ. He is also Son of God. Uh, Matthew Henry, the commentator, he likens John to one of the four creatures in Revelation, the eagle. Because the eagle soars so high and sees into the secrets of divine mysteries. John is like that eagle. And if we're little sparrows on the wings of the eagle, so be it. John is simple in its structure. There's a prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And then there are two parts to the gospel. There's the book of signs that looks at the miracles of Jesus up till chapter 12. And then the second half of the book is the book of glory. And what's the glory? The glory is the death of Jesus Christ, the most important event in his life and what the signs were pointing towards and then there is an epilogue in chapter 21 but we're not going to go through it verse by verse we're we're going to find it too repetitive otherwise you see what we want to do is look at different characters in this gospel who have one thing in common they have come to believe in jesus christ they have had an encounter with Jesus. It doesn't matter what their personalities are. It doesn't matter what their background is. They have come to Jesus Christ. And that's what we need. Uh, those of us who are believers here this morning, we've all got different stories to tell. But we've all come in different ways to the same person, Jesus Christ. So let's look at... Uh, these encounters with Jesus in John's gospel. So the verse this morning, John tells us why he has written. And there are three key words in terms of the introduction to John's gospel. John uses the most important word of all. These are written that you may believe. The word believe is used hundred times in the Gospel of John. A hundred times. 
And it doesn't just refer to the first time we believe in Jesus Christ. For me, it was probably the end of 1989. I heard about Jesus Christ. I heard that he had come to save me from my sin, from death and hell. And he was inviting me not to trust in what I could do to make myself right with God, but to trust in him. And at some point, I came to believe in him. But this word doesn't just talk about our first act of faith. It's also talking about continuing to believe in Jesus Christ. We've got a statement in Welsh. Dali gredi. When I was growing up and you asked a Welsh speaker how you are, they wouldn't say okay. They would say, Dali gredi. I'm still believing. I'm still believing. So if you've been a Christian for so many years, are you still believing this morning? That's what matters. And of course, if you're not a believer, John wants you, I want you, we want you to come to believe for the first time. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that our greatest need is to have a new vision of Jesus Christ, uh, to believe as if we were believing for the first time. Uh, one of my favorites uh, books is The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. You never get too old to read The Chronicles of Narnia. They're a bit like John's Gospel, simple yet profound. And one of the greatest characters in that book is the girl Lucy. And every time she finds herself in Narnia, she says of Aslan the lion, who is a picture of Christ, Aslan, you've got bigger. You've got bigger. And Aslan said... That is because you are older, little one. Aslan hadn't got bigger. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And it doesn't matter as Christians what we believe in, what we do, what we experience. If Jesus Christ doesn't grow bigger, we've got nowhere. So may we believe in him for the first time. And if we believe in him, may we still believe in him. Uh, you know, our Sunday morning services here, uh, we call them gospel services, not because we want to be old-fashioned, but because this good news about Jesus Christ, it needs to go out. And it's not just about our outreach to the world out there. This good news is for every one of us to hear, whether we believe or not. I find myself, as I'm getting older, that I need to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ day after day. What a privilege to gather here every week, the first day of the week, as the early church did, and hear, first and foremost, about Jesus Christ. May we never go further than Jesus Christ. Believe. What is it to believe? What is it to believe? 
it's not just believing about Jesus. So I don't know how many of you know the Bible. Most of us probably know the narrative, the truths in this book. Now that's good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put you off uh, from reading your Bibles and from digging deep into the Word. But that's not what saving faith is. It includes that, but it's much more than that. It's much more than that. James says the devil believes in that sense. The devil knows as much scripture as you and I do, but he doesn't believe. Neither is saving faith just to agree with the truth of these things. So John writes about many signs Jesus did, many miracles. John isn't saying that saving faith is to believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ. Now, it does include that, but that's not the essence of believing in Jesus Christ. So if you know your Bibles and you say, yes, I agree with the truth of the Bible. I agree that Jesus turned water into wine. I agree that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. I agree that God became a man. I agree that he rose Lazarus from the grave. I agree that he died on the cross for the sins of others. That's not saving faith. It's good to agree with the veracity of that, but that's not the same as believing in Jesus Christ. And can I also add as we sang, my faith has found a resting place, not in a form or creed. Now, we are a reformed evangelical church, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm going to quote from one of the creeds in a minute. But we don't rest in that. We may agree to the truth in the doctrines and in the creeds, but saving faith isn't trusting in that. So it doesn't matter how sound you are this morning. That does not make you a Christian. What is it to believe? To believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible, the miracles, the doctrines, they point to a wonderful person. Jesus Christ. Do you believe in him? Uh, to believe is to believe not just with a mind, but with a heart. It's to put our complete trust in Jesus Christ. It's to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. It's to follow Jesus Christ. It's to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. So, However much of the Bible I may know, little or great, however much theology I may have, it's whether I am trusting wholly in Jesus Christ. Are you? Am I? I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee. 
trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. So there may be somebody in another church, I may not agree with everything that they believe in, but if they are trusting in Jesus Christ, they are true believers as well. Spurgeon. John leaves out that which would have brought John into the front in order that he may fill the whole foreground of his canvas with a portrait of Jesus. Everything is subordinated to the one grand end that you should believe that Jesus is the Christ. Look at the way John puts it, verse 30. Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book. John has taken his knife, as it were, and he's cut out so many things from his gospel. He was one of the witnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus transfigured, but he doesn't mention that. He's not interested in that. He's left out hundreds of things that Jesus did, experience he's had of Christ. He's cut them all out, because all he wants to focus on is one thing, Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, and you, reader, hearer, coming to believe in him. It's a bit like that with us preachers. You know, I'm not, I'm not here this morning to give you a lecture on John's gospel. I'm not here to just give an exposition of John. I'm not here to bring in all the theology that I may have into my sermons on John's gospel. I've cut all of that out because I'm focusing on one thing, Jesus Christ. And my desire is that you may come to believe in him. I really want you to believe in him. If you don't, that's my aim this morning. And if you are a believer, and I'm including myself here, my longing is that we would have a new vision of Jesus Christ that we would get out of this rut of evangelical religiosity and that we would have this relationship renewed with Jesus Christ. So believe. The word repent does not appear in John's gospel. Isn't that interesting? The word believe a hundred times. So John, when he says believe, he means repentant faith. He means a faith that turns from sin and turns to Christ. Second key word. The Christ, the Son of God. I've already referred to the Son of God. What does it mean? It doesn't just mean that Jesus is the Son of God, <laughs> it means that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, that's how John starts his Gospel, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's who Jesus Christ is. There never was a time when Jesus Christ did not, did not exist. There never will be a time where he will cease existing. He is fully divine. 
I find that amazing, that a man who was born into this world, a man who lived and breathed and lived amongst us, is also very God of very God. I mentioned the creeds a little while ago. Here's the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, only begotten of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made. That's like a Sunday roast for me. Is it like a Sunday roast for you, theologically, spiritually? This is what differentiates Christianity from every other religion, from every other cult that calls itself Christians. We believe in the Godhood of Jesus Christ. If Jesus isn't God, there is no gospel. If Jesus isn't God, there is no hope for you or for me. But he's not just the Son of God, he's the Christ. Now, what is the word Christ? It's not Jesus' surname, right? It's not Jesus' surname, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it actually is a title, it's a title. And what it means is Messiah. What's Messiah? It was an Old Testament title, and it means anointed one. What is anointing? To anoint somebody is to pour oil on them, to set them apart for a special task. And this is what the Old Testament is all about. In the Old Testament, you've got the gospel. In the Garden of Eden, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, and the world fell, and the world got into the sorry state it's in today, sin, death, after we die, we have to face our maker, and if we are not forgiven, we are going to be condemned forever. Now, in that dark world, God first gave the gospel, and he promised to send a Messiah who was going to undo the works of the devil. And the people in the Old Testament, they didn't have as much as we have. They were waiting, waiting for this Messiah to come. Now, three different kinds of people were anointed in the Old Testament. A king was anointed. Think of King David, anointed by Samuel. And the kings in the Old Testament would die eventually, like our present or former queen died. And they would have to be replaced. But they were all pointing forward to King Jesus, whoever lives. So to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus as the Christ, is to take him as my king. If Jesus Christ isn't your king, he's not your saviour. And then another person was anointed in the Old Testament, the prophet. The prophet. What was the prophet? The prophet was the person who spoke God's word. And Jesus Christ is the prophet. Jesus Christ is the word. Jesus Christ is God's final word. There's no need for uh, another revelation from God. And when I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe his word. You can't separate faith from the Bible, the word of God. And the written word leads us to the living word. And then another person that was anointed in the Old Testament was the priest. You had king, prophet, priest. What was the priest? The priest would sacrifice 
for the people and for his own sins. Every day the priest would be sacrificing a lamb in the tabernacle later the temple because without shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sins and yet all of that was but a shadow of the substance which was to come and when Jesus Christ came he is the Lamb of God so the three offices in the Old Testament prophet priest and king they're all combined in Jesus Christ one person the anointed the Messiah as we sang in the first hymn and Jesus' greatest work, what John is going to concentrate on, is his death on the cross. Because the priest here becomes the sacrifice. And he died not for his own sin because he didn't have any. He was perfect. He died for you and for me so that we could be forgiven. And having died for sin, he conquered death and the grave couldn't contain him. Hallelujah. He rose from the grave and he's alive this morning, he's as alive as you and I are, and he is interceding for us in heaven. So I'm not talking about some teaching here. I'm not giving you a lecture here. I'm presenting a person here, a real person who did something 2,000 years ago for you and for me, and who is alive today, and who is calling you to believe in him. And any church that is preaching this same person I'm with. <laughs> and then one last word, life. Believe in Jesus that you may have life. Do you know what this word life means? It means, first of all, judicial life. What's that? By ourselves, we are facing condemnation. We are guilty. We are in the dock. And man is appointed, woman is appointed once to die, and after that, the judgment. And we're going to be lost, condemned forever. But believing in Jesus Christ, we have our lives back, judicially. Think of a person who's been condemned and he served his sentence uh, for so many years in prison once he's released from prison he's free he's got his life back but the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is this we are guilty and the sentence that is upon us is eternal judgment because we've offended an eternal God and Jesus Christ on the cross. This is why the cross is the center of John's gospel. He took that punishment upon himself, the punishment which you and I deserved so that we could have life. The greatest verse in the Gospel of John is the greatest verse in the Bible. Do you know what it is? Do, do the Gideons, uh, I know they're not called Gideons now, uh, do they still have that verse in different languages at the start of their Bibles? Uh, when I was uh, first converted, my Christian friend said to me as we were watching the World Cup, look at those people, they're holding up a sign in the stadium, John, 3, 16, for God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Oh, you have your life back if you're believing in Jesus Christ this morning. Whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life. You're no longer under condemnation. What a privilege. Uh, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. Or as one hymnist says, Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. And you know what? He's going to carry me. He's going to be safe for all eternity. He's going to carry me through this world. He's going to carry me across the river of death, and I'm going to my eternal home. Jesus Christ is enough. When, when I first went uh, flying, I, I was afraid of going into the plane in case it would crash. I know people would tell me the statistics, but it did not help. In a sense, I know this is a weak illustration, but in a sense, I had to trust not just the plane <laughs> as a thing built, but the pilots of that plane to get me to my destination. And it's a bit like that. I know it's weak as an illustration, but think of stepping into Jesus Christ. I'm leaving behind the world. I'm leaving behind my sin, and I'm stepping in to Jesus Christ, and he's the pilot. I'm no longer the pilot of my own soul. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to pilot me. And you know what I want to say? He is able. He is safe. And I'm standing here this morning as proof of that, because after decades, he's not let me go. What did we sing in that third new hymn? I can't remember the chorus. What did it say? I can't hear. He will hold me fast. Praise God. It's not our faith in him. It's his hold on us. Judicial life. And then very quickly, there is life. The life of the spirits. The life of God in the soul. Do you know what? Christianity is it's not resuscitation we don't need to be resuscitated if you're not not a Christian here this morning it's not resuscitation you need you need resurrection and this is what Jesus Christ gives us in a sense when we believe in him we are already raised to life because our little faith is like the cry of a newborn child and this is why those of us who are believers this morning have not fallen away. It's because we are new creations. It's because he's begun a work in us and he will not, he will not let us go. Very well, I've got to stop there. But this is our focus in going through, John. Jesus Christ. We may sometimes shut our eyes to other things in the gospel so that we can be blinkered on Jesus Christ and to believe in him for the first time. Oh, come, those of you who are not yet believing in him, not just knowing about him, not just agreeing with these things I'm saying, but stepping out in faith 
and just casting yourself completely on Jesus Christ and following him now as your Lord and Saviour. And those of us who are believers, may, may we just be inspired again to reaffirm our faith in Jesus Christ. And may he not resurrect us. We don't need resurrection if we are believers, but may he revive us because we've got sleepy, haven't we, spiritually? May he wake us up again. May this church be woken up again so that people in Cardiff know that there is a mighty saviour being proclaimed and worshipped at Heath Evangelical Church. For his name's sake.